So let's call to order our Climate Action Commission meeting for today, the 13th of September. Fraser is here. Stratus is uh, missing in action. Grim? Here. Megan Hill? Here. Grace? Casey Hutchinson? Here. Matt Krieger. Here. Jesse. Becky. Eric. Here. Thank you all very much for your. Band is here. Sorry. Via Zoom. Yep. Got you. Thank you. Thanks. What we discovered, Jesse, just for your information, is. Uh, being online is good. But if we need a quorum, it doesn't count. The online people don't count just for future reference. But I'm glad you're here because we have a presentation I think that uh, we'll all find interesting today. So the next uh, matter is the not the August minutes because we didn't meet in August, but the July 12th minutes. Do we have a motion to approve the July 12th minutes, assuming that uh, we have taken the time in the last couple of months to actually look at those? I did send a few corrections just on some spellings of some names, but other, other than that, okay. I them, but I those sent those directly to Sarah and Rachel. So with the requirement for a couple of corrections, you, your, your motion is to accept? All right, do we have a second? Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Minutes are approved. Public comments of items not on the agenda. Or do we do, do we have any outside visitors today? Okay. Public comment of items not on the agenda. Nothing. Staff announcements. All right, we'll begin with action items from the last meeting, which, as you may recall, was held in July. Uh, the first action item for, was for staff to forward the equity report on to City Council. That was done. Um, the second was to coordinate with Cause Impacts to present on their phase one findings. We are joined by them today. Um, the third item was for working groups to review and advise on the use of ARPA funds in Iowa City. Um, thank you to all the working groups who did do that. We included the uh, notes from the working groups in with the packet that was forwarded on to City Council, so they did receive your recommendations. And the final note was to determine the next location for our meeting, which of course is here. Um, this will be where we'll be holding our meetings for the foreseeable future. It has the space to socially distance and the tech uh, tech needs so that if we have a presentation like this, we can accommodate it. Um, I'm just going to say so that it's entered into our minutes. We have discovered that in order to count as a public meeting, we need to have six members, assuming we have a full commission, we need to have six members physically present at the meeting. So. Um, Folks can request to attend the meeting remotely. If you have a compelling health reason, those health reasons would be defined as having uh, COVID symptoms yourself or if your family member has COVID symptoms. If you have reason to believe you have recently been exposed, 
or if you or a family member are immunocompromised, you can request that we give you a call-in option. But please do be aware that means it will not count toward attendance or toward quorum. It'll be counted as an excused absence. So hopefully it's good to have some clarity on that moving forward. Um, and those were all of the action items from the last meeting. The other staff announcement um, was uh, as to the updated action plan report. This was included in the minutes of the last meeting or in the agenda packet rather. Um, and we included it again in the packet for today. Um, what we thought we would do in order to save the most amount of time for the presentation from cause impacts rather than run through those items one by one is just ask if anybody has any questions about the updated items. I inflected that weird, so I'll say, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> I, I think there are maybe some items that were on the um, buildings, a couple of the buildings items that I, it might be good to have just some updates maybe to the buildings working group. Um, so I'll, I'll forward those to you to, to see if we can just get some clarification around that, but I'll, in writing, that way we have it. Sounds good, thanks, Matt. Mm -hmm. Um, the other working groups can feel free to do the same. Next month, we will return to our, our schedule of having office updates every other month. Um, the office update, of course, next time will include all three months that, and rather than the two we normally do due to the meeting that was canceled in August. All right. Um, and I'll just say so that it's entered into the minutes. We've been joined by Stratus now. All right. Uh, that takes care of the staff announcements. So old business, we have a presentation. Our presenters were with us last month, but we uh, weren't unable to have a quorum. And so we asked them and they were very generous to uh, return to give a presentation uh, today. So uh, let's move ahead to that, please. All right, well, hello again, um, for those of you who were not at the last meeting, um, uh, we'll just do a quick round of introductions of our team that's on the call today and then we'll dive right in. Um, so hi, I'm Jessica Doherty, I'm the principal of Cause Impacts. Cause Impacts is a social impact strategy consulting firm. So we work on social justice issues from environmental justice to criminal justice reform and education across the United States. This project is especially interesting to us because of the fact that the city of Iowa City really is known as like a hub of being innovative and really trying to make a huge impact on, on the climate, and you are. And so um, we're excited to work with all of you. Don't, don't be so grateful that we're here. We're excited to work with you all. Um, and I'll pass it to Natalie and then Steve. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Lehman. I'm the Senior Research Analyst for Cause Impacts. So um, my background is in nonprofit work and then higher education, as well as social and environmental justice, as Jessica mentioned. So I am so excited to be here. I um, think I can speak for our whole team that says that we are obsessed with Iowa City now after doing all of this research. And um, it's been a really great experience. So I'm just so happy to be here and to present to you today. And hi there, uh, I'm Steve Cardenas. Uh, I am the principal of ISCI Communications, a marketing strategy and consulting firm. Uh, we specialize in doing uh, branding, messaging, communications programs, uh, marketing programs for a variety of different industries. And uh, and this has been a, a, an incredible passion project uh, for, for us and uh, we're excited to, to get started. 
Great. So with that, I'm going to share my screen here. Um, so this presentation, um, we're going to walk through um, um, our methodology, like what we researched, how we researched, um, just give you some overall overarching global findings. Then also we want to give you some, some findings by the different audience segments, because different, if we're going to be developing a marketing campaigns, we need to figure out how to communicate best with different people. Um, then really talk about the barriers and benefits, which was the crux of a lot of this research. And then talk about some potential recommendations. We're not yet to the recommendations and strategies phase, which is next. But of course, after this process, we have some um, potential recommendations and steps. And we want to leave plenty of time for questions. Uh, if you have a question you're dying to ask during the presentation, please don't fail, you know, don't, don't hesitate to ask it. And we'll have 20 to 30 minutes at the end for questions too. So if you prefer to just take notes as we talk and to, to not forget them, that's great too. All right, so I just want to remind everyone of our charge. So the city of Iowa City really seeks to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. You've already exceeded your, your goals and I know you're announcing some stuff at Climate Fest next week. So you're doing a great job. And there's 35 community actions that were identified within that cap, the, the cap to help reduce greenhouse gases. But obviously all of you recognize there's some of those actions that are harder to change people's behaviors around. And so our research was really focused on how to change people's behaviors for harder to change activities um, and, and make the most impact on reducing greenhouse gases. So at the conclusion of the study, we're gonna provide a comprehensive community-based social marketing plan strategy and a toolkit that the city can use to, um, to really um, develop a really robust marketing plan. Um, now at the end of phase one, which is where we're at right now, we conducted really extensive outreach to identify the barriers and the benefits, but also to better understand the community and the community's actions and maybe where they're not currently taking action. So this little arrow here says, we are here. This is where we're at now. We basically did a bunch of listening. We're at the end of our listening phase. And if you don't know what CBSM is, I'm not gonna use acronyms, it's community-based social marketing. And what this is is, um, our, it's a way to market to people based on the way they are most likely to adjust their behaviors. When it comes to environmental and climate change, this is the best way to try to change people's behaviors because first you really do your research. We identify what behaviors to, to research around, then identify what are the barriers and benefits to taking those actions, and only then do you develop strategies. But along the way, you're constantly tapping back into the community to make sure that what you're doing is not only effective, is resonating with the community. We're not, in short, it's not creating a marketing strategy in, uh, in a silo. Um, now, these were the five cap actions we selected to do this research on. So we went through a really extensive process. Sarah will laugh. We had 19 million different Excel sheets trying to figure out what should we focus this research on? What's the most impactful things? What are the actions that are going to be hard to change, et cetera? We narrowed in on these five. And we narrowed in on these five because they have the potential to create deep greenhouse gas emissions re reductions. Um, they don't already have big city initiatives behind them. And if they do, there's not a lot of momentum behind them yet, or we think we can do more. And then finally, they're not easy to change behaviors. Um, how many of you, by show of hands, rode your bike or walked to this meeting today? Okay, we have some. Pretty cool. That's great, right? It's a hard to change behavior. So that's one of the, what, exactly one of the things we focused on. And I want to just note that while our... Um, survey and focus groups were focused on all of these specific behaviors, our conversations went really broad. 
people who are really hungry to talk about in general LED lighting and recycling and all kinds of different things that we were not specifically asking them about. So rather than lose all that knowledge, some of those findings are included herein around different different pieces. But we are focusing on these five activities. And so our presentation will be about those, that people are, are hungry to talk about the environment. So we did, and as Jessica just mentioned, we did really do an extensive outreach to the community. And because we really wanted to ensure that we heard from individuals across the community, across sectors, and just uh, uh, across the full diverse landscape. And so we really conducted one-on-one -on -one interviews, we conducted focus groups, and we really tried to connect with as many community leaders as possible that had large bases within the community to really expand our listening and to ensure that we were hearing from diverse groups. So we believe that this multi-pronged approach really um, made us successful in really hearing from a broad range of the community. In the presentation, you'll see there's a list of the community-based organizations that were engaged. Now, because one of our charges, a key charge, is to figure out how are the people most impacted by climate change and disconnected populations, um, how, what do they think? What do they do? How can they be involved? Well, our strategy to make sure we can communicate with them and include them was to do those focus groups, but also was to work through community-based organizations. So I want to come out front and say that our survey responses do not capture the, the exact demographics of Iowa City. It was way too limited in African-American inclusion and Asian inclusion. However, the while the survey responses don't capture those ideas and perspective of all demographic groups of vulnerable populations in this city, um, our outreach to community-based organizations and focus groups, we think really did capture and had us able to listen to a very diverse perspective from business to individuals, to communities of color, to immigrant communities. And so while the survey responses are way overly skewed to, towards those well-off and even over, making over $100,000 a year, um, our outreach to these community-based organizations gave us a really diverse perspective. So what we want to do is we really want to start by presenting some of the global findings and trends that came out of all of our community outreach and engagement. So these findings are an aggregate of everything we heard from surveys to a meeting with the community. What we really heard from residents and businesses is that they feel a real deep connection to the green initiatives taking place in Iowa. And they're really excited to see what the city is doing and making progress in these areas. So this quote actually came from a focus group from one of our monolingual uh, Congolese focus groups where, um, oh, I'm so sorry, this actually came from a different focus group, I'm, but we, um, we kept hearing phrases like, we're a treasure and a diamond in the middle of Iowa. So people are really excited to hear about what the city is doing, and they're really proud of the work that the city is doing. So that was great to hear. What we also heard is that people are just unsure how to make the biggest impact. So although that they feel really connected to the work that the city is doing, they're not really sure um, how to participate in activities that are both good for the environment and greenhouse gas emissions, because they just really are unsure of where to find information or what actions actually make the greatest positive impact. So um, that leads us also to there's a lack of overall awareness for residents and businesses on where to find information. 
So for example, many residents really wanna reduce their greenhouse gas energy use in their home, but they don't know what changes to make to really make that big impact or the relative cost savings that will actually be realized if those changes are made. And so they also are really confused on where to go to purchase materials or really how to make those changes or even what contractors to connect with. So um, to without this access to information, it makes it really difficult for them to make the changes that are needed to really make a big impact. And then what we also heard from individuals is that they wanna take action and they are taking action on the things that they can see that direct result of even if those results aren't what they seem. So for example, what we heard from a lot of residents and businesses is that they see recycling, recycling as an action that they can take and take personally to make that direct impact. But as we've heard is recycling doesn't always, it doesn't have the actual results that, um, that really make the big impact. But, so, but it's because it's directly and linearly connected to their actions, they think that it's something that is really good for the environment. So um, we wanna ensure that we're making people really motivated to change their actions. Another big global findings. Um, one is that there is initiative confusion and exhaustion. And so you all have done so much and have been really effective at reducing greenhouse gases. Residents and businesses are confused on which initiatives to prioritize. They're also confused by the effectiveness or efficacy of those things because they haven't heard of them. So often we heard from people saying, like the Greater Home Builders Association, when we met with them, they said, haven't we done this already? Didn't we already do this? Or why are we talking about this? Or, oh, the city tried that. I don't think it worked because we never heard about it after the fact. And so there's, there's this sense, even if it's just perceived, that um, there's too much going on and that there's repeated or there's new activities happening because maybe the other ones weren't effective. When you all know in this room, the reality is that you've been very effective. A few things maybe haven't hit the same, made the same impact you wanted them to make, but we haven't communicated it back to the public. There's also public frustration at the perceived lack of progress, which is kind of what I mentioned. There's, but because of the fact that people have not felt like they've heard the impact of the various initiatives or effort, there's a sentiment that easy to change behaviors haven't been fully adopted. So like, why is the city moving forward? First, they should focus on, I don't know, doing community cleanups or recycling or these things that they perceive as low hanging fruit, albeit those things will not make a big impact on greenhouse gases. Um, we also found that uh, costs are a key barrier to, uh, for both businesses and residents, specifically with regard to how uh, uh, they are implemented. The, the barriers greatest for low-income um, individuals who don't have disposable income uh, to participate in some of the desired behaviors, um, we have to then thoughtfully message any action that requires any outlay of funds to avoid making uh, the perceived the behavior perceived as a luxury tax recommendation that's only available to the people who are, are well off. Um, what's more is uh, when we think about the notion of cost, we should also think about emotional, psychological, or inconvenience costs. So for example, like, uh, Though the fiscal implications of taking public transit may, may not appear to be a huge barrier, um, 
the perceived costs associated with inconvenience or lack of control or autonomy uh, or the increased time commitment that it could take, um, particularly over time, has to be taken into account as, as new marketing materials are created. So during our uh, during our um, research phase, we also found that um, that there are some really specific trends that are different based on our audience segments. So you probably also saw that in the report, and we want to make sure that we bring light to these because these are going to be important moving forward into phase two, as uh, different audience segments have different barriers and concerns and needs that are going to motivate them and to really adjust their actions and to take change and to take action. So this is the quote that came from our, um, our Center for Workers Justice focus group where we um, spoke with a contingent of French Congolese individuals. And um, what we found was that we heard from people that they really wanna know why taking action matters. So businesses and residents, they're really interested in hearing that underlying why. And, um, and why they should take these actions, why it matters to them and how it's relevant to their lives before ever hearing about what actions to take or how they should actually take them. So for renters, we um, have the opportunity to speak with several renters. And what we heard from them is they really felt like they didn't have control over, and actually this also came up quite a bit in our surveys and I just wanna make note of that, is that renters really don't feel like they have control over those many of those high impact activities. And um, so for example, they feel like they can't, they don't have access to changing their appliances. They don't have the ability to um, update their insulation in their homes. And so they really wanna, they, since they don't have a, a control over those actions, they really wanna know what they can do to make a difference in their home. And um, what we kind of noticed that is a lot of the CAP actions really aren't speaking to those renters in general. So we wanna ensure that we can include them in some way. We also really heard from renters is that they are concerned about advocating for themselves to their landlords. So they were concerned that if they really start to advocate for those new appliances, that new insulation to really make those upgrades, that um, they're going to end up having to have that cost burden through a rental increase. And that cost burden, many of our renters said that they would not be able to afford, you know, higher levels of rent. And so that was a big concern for them. We also had the ability to speak with an awesome group of um, University of Iowa students. And um, we and we also had the opportunity to speak with um, some pe people like Stratus, but um, our students were so incredible. They really talked about how eager they are to participate in the city's activities. They want to be involved in the initiatives. They really want to play a role. And um, they really want to be able to use those alternative forms of transportation. They really want to green their apartments. They want to expand recycling. Um, but what they mentioned is that a lot of times some of these activities are really inaccessible to them because those activities take a higher level of cost. And as we know, being students, um, cost is a really big deal. They usually don't have extra funds to spend. So for them, cost of making those changes are a huge motivating factor for them. 
And so they really care about the environment, but they want to know um, what what they can do with those limited funds. So if it means um, not driving their car, they won't drive their car, but and they want to be able to know that they can save money on gas and help the environment. We also heard similarly for um, student renters is that they really feel disempowered over um, their living conditions. So similar to the other contingency of renters we spoke with, many of them feel like they really want to help with the environment, but they're unable to because of the uh, control that's placed over them for their landlords in their housing. I want to just add to what Natalie's saying and that students not only at times we're using the words such as disempowered, but they feel underutilized. And I think they might be underutilized because they really do care. They want to be involved, but the things they've heard that they can get involved in cost money. And so um, they feel underutilized and it's a potential opportunity for the city. Thank you. Yes. We also really had, we had a great opportunity to speak with many nonprofits within the area. So I mentioned Center for Workers Justice and we talked to the Affordable Housing Coalition and several others that provide direct services. And especially we spoke with several that um, provide those direct services to the large uh, immigrant population within the Iowa City. And so we had, again, the opportunity to speak, have a focus group with a French model, all monolingual French speaking Congolese immigrants, which was so incredible. And these conversations really provided us with some insight on the specific barriers that were really impacting immigrants. So what we heard from them, what we heard from these focus groups and these individuals is that our immigrant populations are getting information from trusted individuals and sources in, within the community. So the, our community-based organizations are serving that informal role of communicators um, and disseminating information that comes from the city. So they'll take those city emails, they'll put them in the language that works best for their populations, and they'll disseminate it out to the group. And so that's really how a lot of these individuals are gaining access and understanding what's taking place. We also heard a lot about bike safety. So um, when talking about taking alternative forms of transportation, we heard specifically a lot from um, individuals from the Sudanese community that say that there were several physical and cultural barriers in place to riding bikes. And so um, for, for these individuals, like what we heard is that for a lot of women, the way that bikes um, are set up that are from the Sudanese community, they're unable to ride them because if they're wearing skirts, it it will um, the length will of their skirt will go up too high, and so they're unable to. Also, several of the immigrants that we um, spoke with said that they have just never learned how to ride a bike, or it's not a common practice in their country of origin or currently. And so, bike safety and learning how to ride bikes will be um, is really important for them. Now, for homeowners, on the survey that we put out. Um, the majority of respondents indicated that they are very interested in saving energy in their home. The key takeaway is they don't know how, they don't know the most impactful activity. They also are savvy and want to know the return on investment of those actions. And so homeowners also really shared that they are willing to do something if they can be told how and why, and if it's not going to cost them a lot upfront. So upfront costs were a huge barrier. But now this one here, I wanna kind of highlight, Home, homeowners are invested in the life cycle of their appliances and equipment. What we mean by this is 
during the survey, 69% um, of them reported that the cost of replacing and removing appliances was the biggest um, factor determining um, you know, whether or not they would, they would replace something. Because if it's gonna be very expensive, they're just gonna wait until theirs dies. But then they also shared, I, of course I wouldn't get rid of something that works yet because wouldn't that be bad for the landfill? So a lot of people, students, people with master's degrees, homeowners, immigrants, everyone was like, why would you get rid of something that works if you're literally just gonna contribute to um, the landfills? Because a lot of these things can't just be recycled, right? And that a lot of that's perception and a lot of that might be truth, but it's a perception that's out there. And there's a lot of confusion about why they would do that, which is an opportunity around marketing. Um, and then finally, homeowners don't know how to access the year-round grant cycle. There were some, a lot of people mentioned, hey, well, there's that once a year grant that we could get to help pay for some of the upfront costs for our appliances and equipment, but we missed the deadline. Well, it turns out it is year-round, but there's miscommunication or they don't know that. Um, now, in speaking to ICAD, the Downtown Business Association and some local businesses such as Midwest One and through our survey data, we saw some trends for businesses. Um, one of the quotes here, partner with us, don't regulate us, right? So there is a sense that um, businesses recognize that their ac actions are very important. They have the potential to reduce greenhouse gases. They wanna be a partner. They're frustrated that they perceive over-regulation and ever-changing policies instead of communication and partnership and conversation. Um, and so, I think there is, an, again, an opportunity to um, get businesses to be a bigger part of the conversation. On this survey, this is one of the questions. Um, what motivates your business decisions most? Well, saving and making money, that was expected. Most people said that, but also being a part of and supporting the community. That is the second selection people made. So again, just like how people love Iowa City, businesses want to be part of the community. So there's an opportunity to, um, to take, not take advantage, to, to utilize that to better communicate and get people to take actions. Um, other things with businesses, um, they're of course very interested in participating in city initiatives, but they, again, they need to know how their upfront costs um, can be recuperated. If it's too expensive, you're, you're going to lose people. Um, also companies that have facilities across multiple jurisdictions, they need support navigating um, multiple companies or uh, multiple different policies uh, across different cities or areas or companies. An example of this is a lot of companies said to us, oh, well, we'd love to use solar or use clean energy, but we don't know, we don't know how to do so because there's multiple utilities and they don't partner. Well, it turns out they do partner, but those companies don't know about it. Other organizations told us that there's no partnership in place with the city transit, so it's hard for them to do a carpool thing with their employees. Again, that's also changing now. So how are we going to communicate that to people? And then a big one for businesses right now, they're still, as all of us are, really in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, trying to survive, working from multiple places. And so I think some of the responses we got are COVID exhaustion, and might um, just really show that this can't be a priority for them right now. Doesn't mean it won't be or shouldn't be in the future. So for landlords, we had the opportunity to speak with the Greater Iowa City Apartments Association. And um, this, this conversation, what we really heard from them is that um, the bottom line and cost efficiency is a major priority for them. 
but many of them are not opposed to introducing environmental practices into their building. In fact, many of them were really excited about the initiatives taking place. Um, they just really, um, because of their focus on cost efficiency for items that they're trying to install items at the lowest cost possible, right? So for their appliances, they're just looking for the most cost efficient, lowest, uh, lowest cost um, um, items. And so what they, this does really create a barrier for them because in purchasing energy efficient items, because a lot of times they're more expensive. And so um, there is an opportunity to maybe partner with, with landlords to support them in um, creating some more cost efficient um, um, incentives. Landlords also mentioned, and Jessica also mentioned this as well, is that landlords as well as other individuals feel overregulated. So that the, they have the perception that sometimes the city will too inter, frequently intervene in, in some of their private property. And, and the example of that would be around the frustration regarding some of the recycling practices. So where they, we, we did hear that when um, their spaces were removed to implement those new recycling bins, um, there was some frustration over that. Um, we also heard from community-based organizations is that they're really eager to participate in the city's initiatives, and they really, really want to be more engaged with the city in supporting vulnerable populations because they really do that more than no one else can. Oops, sorry. No, no worries. Um, and so they really, there is a great opportunity for the city to really partner more with these community-based organizations and nonprofits, because right now they're like, we're underutilized. We'll communicate more. We'll do more outreach for you. We're excited about this. Our, like our, the people that we're involved with are really excited about this. So there is absolutely an opportunity to engage more um, with diverse populations and to um, really work with CBOs on that. All right. So since we looked at those five actions, we now talked about the, the various um, segments of the population. We want to just talk briefly. Well, I'm going to kind of fly through these slides. Natalie, I'm just going to go through yeah. these really quickly, okay? Um, so for, for these slides, we're going to talk about the barriers and benefits for each action, but also some potential recommendations we just want to highlight. So the first action was, um, you know, how willing are people and what are the barriers in place and benefits to replacing appliances and equipment with energy efficient ones? Of course, as we shared, upfront costs is huge, but there's also this belief that the impact in the landfill is worse than the greenhouse gases of using old appliances. So people want to know, what should they do? Should they really get rid of something that is still working, but maybe highly inefficient? And then if so, what's the city's plan for mitigating that negative impact on the landfill? Um, and so there's a lot of strategies that could be used, right? Packaging and communicating the credits and the rebates and how to make it cost efficient, but also really developing collateral to explain um, um, the fact that it is going to be better to buy new energy efficient appliances than keep that old um, guzzling refrigerator in your garage. So one opportunity here is when we ask, what's the oldest or least efficient appliance or piece of equipment in your home? most people said their HVAC system. This is exciting because we also talked a lot about insulation. We asked if people would be, you know, what were the barriers to doing or using insulation or adding more insulation or assessing their insulation? Well, people didn't really even think about that as an environmentally friendly activity. Um, or they think, oh, I already have insulation. 
but they don't recognize that it might be packed down or rat eaten now, right? So there's an opportunity to, again, communicate with people the benefits of this and the cost savings that can happen, but also um, provide th those incentives upfront to pay the upfront costs. We also really need to find a way to make this make sense financially for landlords, because if they don't realize the financial benefit, if they're not the one paying the utilities, it's literally just a cost that just gets sunk that um, they don't have an incentive, literally illness incentive to, to pay for that. When we ask people about biking and using carpools and walking, um, the community members are interested. Businesses are also interested in figuring out how to improve employee health and well-being and increasing employee satisfaction. And a lot of people are still remote working. So there's a possibly an opportunity here. COVID fast-tracked remote work. So how can that be maintained? How can we have less people driving all over the place? Um, I'm going to skip, I'm going to gloss over this one, but in short, let me show you this slide here. Um, when we ask people about the biggest factor that prevents them from biking to various destinations, people said safety concerns. They do not feel safe. They either don't think that the sidewalk infrastructure is in place or it's too far, or they'd have to go through some community they don't think is well lit. Most of the reasons they don't feel safe was about infrastructure. It was not necessarily, we don't like biking, but a lot of people also didn't know how to ride a bike or felt like it wasn't something that was for them. And when we ask, what's your primary mode of transportation? Driving a personal vehicle is, of course, the number one thing people said. But I wanna actually highlight this for Iowa City. There's a lot of people that bike and a lot of people that walk. And so I wanted to look at the data, looking at the American Community Survey. When you look at Iowa City compared to similarly small size city, the ACS showed that people who, use commuting, I mean, who walk as a commuting method, 15.5% of workers walk to work. In average in small cities of similar sizes, less than 1% do that, right? And so that shows that Iowa City already has huge gains when it comes to walking and biking. How can we capitalize on them? How can we expand upon them? You're already doing so much. Uh, Natalie, I'll pass this one back to you interject this is a good opportunity for us to do things for us to to um look at programs like uh, uh car free iowa city that's currently in development to figure out how can we make a program that, that already has excuse the pun legs uh and and really communicate on on something like that in a, in a, a meaningful way so that more people know about it and and become engaged with it sorry go ahead Great, thanks, Steve. Um, what we also heard is for the creating a zero waste office, the sustainability office did ask us um, to assess if there's an appetite from businesses to create a zero waste office. So through our research and our focus groups and listening revealed that there's really not an appetite for this at this time um, because they're really not seeing, A, I think the, um, the impact of COVID, right? People are just trying to get back into the office. So they're not seeing um, the, real, the real meaning behind going to a zero waste office. But many of them, many of the businesses that we spoke with, um, although they're not interested in the zero waste office, they are really interested in being and participating in those larger scale initiatives. So, um, so that is great news, but um, yes, at this time, they're not really interested in that zero waste office. So when we asked individuals about their willingness to repair um, household goods and reduce their household waste, what we heard is that um, residents, they know that reducing their household waste helps the environment and it, 
it may actually help them save money and support that reuse culture, but they're just not fully aware of what the impact that reducing their waste actually makes on the environment. So um, one of our strategies is uh, that we're suggesting is to really ensure that residents are um, have really high levels of education to understand the whole process surrounding reusing or reducing waste within their home so that they really understand the impact that it has on greenhouse gas emissions. Great, thanks. So I wanna get into some potential program recommendations. Um, as I said before, building on the existing walking and biking culture in Iowa City in order to reduce greenhouse gases is a huge opportunity. We already, the program already has legs, as Steve so um, intelligently shared. Um, another one is to develop, potentially develop an initiative focused on HVAC systems and insulation. Because the majority of people said the HVAC system is their oldest um, equipment in their home. And we know that insulation has potential to really reduce greenhouse gases. There's an opportunity there about heating and cooling in the home. And again, these are potential recommendations. We are not yet to our strategy creation, but we want to share these um, after phase one is over. Um, the third one, to develop and communicate roll, rolling greenhouse gas reduction grant activities for businesses and homes. People did not necessarily know they existed or they didn't know that it was a rolling application process. And then finally, develop regional braided funding for CAP initiatives. Um, in speaking to um, various government entities and organizations, such as ICAD, there are some opportunities to braid some funding sources to develop programs um, moving forward, which would be more impactful, which would also engage the, the people who are you know, ambassadors of this work and engage um, more people and get more sustainable funding to do some of this work. You're on mute, Steve. Sorry, technology. Uh, throughout our listening campaign, uh, some of the feedback that we heard, whether directly or indirectly, was about where when, how, and how often respondents were communicated with. Um, as we continue to, to audit past, present, and planned communications, some of the challenges that we have to bear in mind are perceptions of uh, either a disparate or unrelated or overly dense uh, communications without clear unifying theme or clear uh, overarching relationship to what's come before. Um, or uh, not about not enough messaging about how or why in communications, um, or enough of a direct link to the ultimate impact on GHG uh, emissions, or a lack of clarity about the progress. And this is we keep have heard this over and over again about the progress being made uh, by uh, or the state of current uh, of current efforts. We realize that some of these may actually be media issues or reach issues, but it's important to frame our, our recommendations within this context. Great, thanks. So while phase one was about listening, I'm going to continue on with potential communications recommendations and know that formal recs will be made in the next phase. Okay, so messaging needs to focus on reciprocal upstream and downstream calls to action and what i mean by this is different people um, can make different um, actions which will eventually cause someone else to, have to maybe change their actions it could be a push and a pull the example would be for home builders and contractors right well they typically install the cheapest appliances in order to reduce costs 
However, if they are provided with a resource that expanded the benefits of high efficiency appliances and energy efficient um, equipment, they might be more willing to purchase high um, energy, you know, energy efficient um, products, et cetera. Or the other side of it could be that home buyers and renters could be educated about the potential cost savings available when energy efficient appliances are already put in, which would then increase the demand and them asking, hey, contractors, like, please put in energy efficient things on the front end. So there's a push and a pull. So marketing and communication can be done to both groups with a different message with the end result. And they would both impact each other positively. They would both move the tide forward, but it would be a different message to a contractor and a landlord versus a homeowner or a renter. Um, sorry, Natalie. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, what we heard from, from individuals across the board is that they're hungry to hear directly from the city. So we know that you communicate, we know that there is so much information, but they're really eager to hear more about the impact that the city has made in their current initiative. And so really one of our recommendations is to continue and better highlight the progress and the achievements made through the CAP initiative. So by providing more updates on the progress, by communicating with residents through email, social messaging, those direct engagement um, through ambassadors and really attending those nonprofit collaborative meetings. Um, we attended several and they were just so, so excited to hear about what the city was doing. They were so excited to be involved, engaged, and um, they felt really, really more connected to the city's initiatives when they heard directly from uh, even someone like me who is just a, a direct conduit for the city at the time. And so really we're also, um, to do this more, we really believe that engaging um, community communications through ambassadors by attending more of those meetings and to increase awareness on what the city is doing would be a really effective way um, for individual for the city to um, to really highlight all of the great work that they're doing that you're doing at this time with your initiatives and to continue to increase engagement with those nonprofits and individuals. I just want to share to y'all that every single individual or group we spoke to said thank you so much for coming and talking to us thank natalie got told thank you. even like right after someone lambasted us about what you know what we should be doing or what's not happening then they were like thank you so much for coming it's so great to be working directly with the city so people are excited to be communicated with and, and want more of it um so as we said we can leverage those community partnerships to reach a broader audience you don't have to do it alone. The city does not have the staff. Sarah does not have the staff to do all of this alone, but we can increase utilization of these nonprofits and the existing ambassadors to increase the reach. Also, we have to rethink the ways we communicate with traditionally hard to reach populations. There's alternative media outlets and forms of communication, such as Nextdoor. There's also a lot of the CBOs, community-based organizations we spoke to, who are translating things on their own and sending out their own newsletters. You know, what, what many micro ways can we use micro influencers and community leaders to communicate with those most impacted by climate change? And of course, as we shared throughout, we really need to customize our call to action, sorry, there's an acronym, our call to action messaging by and for target segments. Just like I said, you can't communicate with the landlord the way you would a student renter. They have different calls to action. Yeah, th this process has helped 
reveal opportunities for both programmatic and communications framework. It's also helped inform how we might approach messaging from making direct linear uh, connections between the actions and the specific impacts that, that they create, past, present, and future, to how we can leverage community pride of place throughout our messaging, to the need to infuse urgency and immediacy to all communications. We have a, a number of messaging insights as a springboard. And from these insights, we can continue to strategically build and position a unifying theme and a corresponding uh, icon. Um, one other significant uh, consideration, particularly as we as we look to achieve our, our goals relative to diversity and inclusion, is about asset-based versus deficit-based framing. Essentially, instead of defining people by the problems or challenges, their, their deficit, uh, vulnerable populations, marginalized communities, people most at risk, we can look to frame our communications about and to them uh, through their aspirations and their contributions. You'll see more about this as we move forward further into phase two and phase three. Steve, you hop the slides. I just want to make sure there's nothing on here what we want to educate. Um, as we said earlier, of course, one of the recommendations is just use education to facilitate behavior change. The action starts with awareness, right? And awareness really starts with visibility. So the same reason people are so excited to recycle and kept talking to us about recycling is because it's visible. They throw things into a blue bin and they see it fill up and they think, wow, look what I did. How can we make other hard to change behaviors as visible, as visceral, as real and tangible for people, right? And then um, of course, simple resources must accompany call to actions. I'll give you a direct example because the stories speak volumes. While speaking to the school district, they had just gone through a facilities master plan. Um, and they said to us, oh, I, I wish there was just a how to green our facility toolkit. I just said, here's the five things you should do. And then Midwest wanted the same thing. Oh, I wish there was just some simple resource that said, do this and print out these stickers and put them here or put these strips there. We need, people are busy. How can we make it simple? You know, and not do everything, but do for the actions we've decided are the most impactful, really make some simple tools to make those call to actions more simple and tangible. Um, now, Steve, I'll hop back to this slide for you. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to uh, end where we began, which is to, to tell you where we are in this process. Uh, you know, uh, you guys uh, may be uh, familiar with this uh, this graphic that we've created, this uh, um, hourglass, where we take in all of the listening and all of the learning and all of the hearing that we've done. And, um, and at this phase, we, we're synthesizing those into a, a variety of different uh, strategic recommendations and considerations. And um, what's next for us is that we're going to develop a, a brand strategy recommendation and uh, a marketing strategy recommendation that uh, speaks to both uh, messaging as well as to how we uh, implement that messaging and uh, some creative campaign themes that, that lives at the center of this hourglass from which then all other communications can can uh, uh, move forward. So um, that's that's kind of where we are. <laughs> I'll open it, we'll open it back up now to um, questions. Um, yeah, I'll open it for questions. And then I just wanna share something that all of us have been saying as framing as we jump into these questions, which is that community-based social marketing, um, and, and in our opinion, most marketing, is only impactful when the community is engaged in all aspects of the project from research through implementation. 
right? And so um, we did our due diligence. We've been listening, but now we want to, you know, create those strategies. So um, what questions do y'all have? Questions? Anyone? Um, I see the next steps, but what is sort of the time, the anticipated timeline for uh, those next steps? Uh, great question. Uh, we are anticipate developing our next our round of marketing strategies uh, for review approval, and then uh, from those marketing strategies, once we get that approved, we'll present some campaign themes, and that'll happen over the course of the next uh, four to six weeks. Okay, thank you. My question is, um, how are you able to come up with a campaign? I guess I guess I get the I get the thing about developing a campaign and just not that I know everything. I did work in communications for about 15 years and now I'm a sustainability coordinator. So my position is somewhat similar to Sarah's. So I've kind of been involved in both sides of those things. And if there's there seems to be some really significant gaps. And I guess you know, you guys are in communications, it's not your job to fix all the gaps. You know that you're hearing there's there's certain disconnects there's lack of some lack of programs to make the actual changes that people want so i guess i'm not clear how that can be developed in the next four to six weeks when there's some pretty significant behind the scenes things that aren't yet addressed i want to start and then i'll pass it to you steve um i think this is the challenge of doing a presentation about you know, the findings, if, if you, if we came in here and only told you all the pretty flowering things, you'd say, why'd we hire these consultants? There's, there's no gaps, there's no challenges. Like, what was this? There's a lot of amazing things Iowa City is doing and the gaps that we presented, um, we believe that having some unifying theme solves, begins to solve some of the gaps that were identified. For example, when people have said, there's so many communications or it's too disparate, um, what is the city doing or didn't we do that last year? Um, a unifying theme would say, hey, under this umbrella, we're doing X, Y, and Z. And here's one of those things, right? So a unifying campaign, unifying brand is one of the solutions and one of the things that can begin to, to close the gap. And Steve, do you wanna add to that? Uh, no, absolutely. And, yeah. and that's part of the reason that we're putting the marketing strategy before we get to the, the campaign theme, because one of the things we wanna to try to do is make sure that we are speaking to the right people with the right message. Uh, for example, we could try to speak to everyone and with the same voice. And, uh, and while that, that might feel easiest, it may not have the greatest impact. So we, we might have a segmentation strategy that, uh, that really starts to, to speak to the people who, uh, rather than speaking to the most residents, will we'll speak to the residents who uh, care the most. And the way that we speak to them and the frequency and, and uh, the, the um, thoroughness or the comprehensiveness of what we're saying to, to that group might be very different than how we speak to the, the people who are uh, otherwise disenfranchised or who don't feel as though they are empowered to change the insulation in their home because they're renters. So, um, and figuring out who we're speaking to and what we're saying um, uh, 
helps us figure out what the, the umbrella and what's important, helps us figure out what the campaign theme is, and then figure out what are the messaging strategies to fill in these gaps where A, there are gaps, or B, just as importantly, to showcase what fantastic progress we've made along the way. Because I think a lot of what, what's missing here isn't that we're not doing the right thing or that we haven't been doing the right thing. It's that people don't know how much progress is being made and what their role in that progress is and could be. And I agree, and you all have done a great job of talking to these different groups. And I apologize, I didn't begin with that compliment because <laughs> you have done that. Um, I guess one thing in particular that then, since you are concerned and focused on the segmentation is you had that one graph that showed with the businesses, their top concern or motivator is something like saving money. Mm -hmm. but their concern about the environment is at like 7%. And so that tells me that they are not, they may not be convinced that we are truly in a climate crisis. So as that is addressed, I hope, um, you know, as you address that audience, I hope that can be impressed on them. And, you know, our programs here were gutted a, sub, a couple of years, not gutted, but you know they were cut in half, the, like the, some of the rebate programs. So I think what they want the city to do is what used to happen within some of the utilities within the industry, what the, some of the businesses want. And as much as I wish we could hand them, you know, you, there was an example, I don't know, one of the banks wanted a list of five simple things to do. It, it just, Unfortunately, I'm not sure it can ever be that simple. But any, yeah, that was the one that reducing our environmental impact. If that's at seven percent, that I think that needs to really be addressed. I think this is where look at the second thing though. The second thing is being a part of and supporting our community. And this is why messaging and marketing is so important. Because what if the way that they can be a part of something and support their community is by being part of a green business initiative is or by X, Y, Z, what fill in the fill in the blank for what the action is. But I think there's, this is why messaging is so important because you wouldn't go to a business and, and lead with that environmental piece, then maybe we'd lead with something else. Steve, you're actively thinking with your face. <laughs> oh, uh... Well, I'm going to echo what was uh, what someone wise, uh, someone in this room uh, said just recently that yes, we often hear people want a, a silver bullet, or uh, and rather than it being a silver bullet, uh, I think Sarah so eloquently put it last week that uh, this is more of a buckshot approach. So that there are that we that if they're all coming out of the same gun or the same uh, campaign, right? Then yeah. all of these different messages <laughs> will have. <laughs> just to take a metaphor way too far. <laughs> um, but but to, to uh, that buckshot approach would actually be a variety of different types of messages that really feel unified, not only through their, com their community engagement, but uh, through the, the volume and breadth of the messaging that we're going to be trying to, to create. Does anyone on Zoom also have questions? You can either type them in or you can just take yourself off mute. Casey or Ben or Jesse. All right. Any other questions, clarifying, um, I don't know, clarifying questions or just ideas? Because I also would love to just, if we spark some idea in you, we'd love to open it up to um, exciting potential ideas or aha moments as well. Do, do you see the, do you see the um, going through this process at some point identifying 
uh, uh, not just opportunities for kind of further engagement, but also locate or items that maybe should be weeded out. You know, so for instance, you know, if we're trying to do too much all at once, and we can, I mean, we can start to prioritize, but do you also see the recommendations coming for what may be places that we should dial back and not provide that, that yeah. focus just because of, you know, how, um, I don't know, how things are messaged or how things are received or the perception of, you know, it's, or it's might, it's gonna take this much effort in order to get to that result, you know, that sort there of thing. Uh, I do. I do see that that um, some of it may not be about pulling back actual messaging, but figuring out what are the best messaging, best uh, media tactics to employ. So, for example, uh, I have a, a printout of one of the postcards that was done a, a year or two ago, and it just tried to do too much. It was it wanted to tell uh, people, well, do this. And if you can't do this, you can also do this, 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 and this, and it and it and it really tried to do too much for a postcard. So what we need to do is uh, figure out what the use is of each particular media communication and or marketing tool, and then figure out how best we can uh, make the calls to action work harder for us. So we're we're envisioning uh, one of the things that we're envisioning is ways for people to quickly and easily be able to drill down into further in information and the, giving them the tools to do so. And then to, to piggyback on that, when it came to specific actions, maybe we want to dial back on or not do. I mean, we definitely identified some of that stuff. One of the ones is what Natalie talked about is their appetite for businesses to become zero use business, zero use, you know, zero, oh my gosh, I'm blanking, to use non um, disposables in the office. Zero waste office. Thank you. To become a zero waste office. And the answer is no, there's not an appetite for that. So don't waste your time doing a huge campaign around um, becoming a zero waste office. But well, during well. our conversations, a lot of people you know, were interested in, well, what could we do that can make a big impact? Or what could we do, what, what could we be part of? Maybe there's a, a green business certification, which is even bigger and much more impactful if they did a list of things and then we're a green business in Iowa City, which is a totally different opportunity, which, which even more impact. So there's definite things that we identified that would not be um, it's not something to make a campaign around today. Uh, and around biking, we know there's a huge appetite for it. And without the infrastructure investment, which I know the city is well aware of, right? A lot of people um, might be wary of, of hopping on a bike or not know how or be Sudanese, not be able to, et cetera. But we've identified some of those challenges now. Yeah, I think part of this process and part of this, uh, specifically part of this very next uh, part of the process is figuring out among all of the initiatives. And we have a lot of, uh, Iowa City has a lot of great initiatives underway. So figuring out which ones we want to, uh, to, to be, you know, whether it's Climate Fest or the Ambassadors Program or uh, um, or Earth Day or Project 51 and how we, how we, we, we leverage those really fantastic substantive programs in ways that have uh, that continue to, to speak to the community over the course of the year um, and can, can be frameworks around which there will be greater impact. I think, uh, and by the way, I appreciate very much uh, your report today. I thought it was uh, very, very well done. I appreciate uh, your analysis. 
I like your hourglass. I think one of the challenges that we face is your, there are really two hourglasses. One's like a 30 year hourglass and one's a four month hourglass. Mm -hmm. Along the way, we need to celebrate. And at the same time, we don't want to give our audiences the false impression that we've done so well that we've been successful and we've completed. We're done. We've done well and we're done. What's happening is we've done really well and we need to communicate that and at the same time, in a very positive way, show that the next steps are even going to be harder than the first steps. The first steps, and, and we've got some reporting to do about our success, so those reports aren't official yet, but they'll be out shortly. Some things that we do wanna celebrate and we have to celebrate carefully so that we can show people this is this is a successful effort in a first step that's got another 30 years of work attached to it. That's why I think this discussion about the uh, umbrella, uh, branding are really important so we can continue our story beyond this first effort. This can is, I, a, I would almost see this as, as a continuous improvement project that we're marketing. And that's is a long sometimes. It is a long game. And I also want I'll use an, an example to, to hopefully um, assuage the concern of like, how do we do the long game and the short game at the same time? Um, I was a community organizer for 10 years doing refugee rights issues in Ghana, then immigration reform in San Diego, and helping unionize laborers in Guatemala. Any campaign or any movement you start, the way you do it is through engagement of new people, right? So think of the Freedom Riders. The first thing they did wasn't the biggest thing they did. The first thing they did was a little sit-in. And then they did a bigger sit-in and then a bigger one. And you know what I'm saying? So the little engagements along the way um, build the base of people who are willing to take bigger steps. And so while what we've done so far might have been easier than what is to come, we're not losing people. And what we need to make sure we do is along the way, make sure that people say, wow, we did that and we celebrated it and we succeeded it. You know, what else can we do? Instead of saying it's done, how do we tap them back in, everyone back in to make sure that we continue to do more and, and, and are continuing the movement. But we do need that celebration because if there's no celebration, it's too dire. No yes. one wants to stay engaged. No one yes. wants to stay involved because, oh, we did that one sit-in and no impact was made. No journalists, I'm using this example, but no journalists covered it. Why should we continue? Well, you have to make some. There, there's a there's a real risk of having a fatalist, uh, having an exclusively fatalistic approach to something as dire as climate action or climate change, because we do, you know, at least the people in this room all have a real clarity about the dire nature of what we're trying to do. That said, we're also making some progress towards reduction, uh, particularly Iowa City has been a beacon uh, in, uh, in making progress towards its stated goals or exceeding its stated goals. So not celebrating those things would be a miss on our part because in the celebration of those things is where we start to create new cheerleaders, new ambassadors, new new people who will uh, who will take action and, and in, in part, take larger action because, because of the, the, the notion that it is framed in success, not, uh, not dire or failure. 
And one thing really struck me, Sarah and I were talking the other day about what we really need to attack to get big gains, and it's not recycling. We certainly want to continue with recycling, and I appreciate what you said about the visibility of, of colorful containers, and look what I've done, and there it is. Uh, and that's fine. The challenge is, like insulation, and as Sarah told me the other day, electric vehicles, those are two areas. And one thing you pointed out today is uh, the landlords don't care about insulation because their renters pay the heat bills. And that's a real challenge. And how we're going to market toward that, I don't know. But that's one of your challenges. And EV, students don't see that as something they can do. Riding bicycles is wonderful, and we should promote it. And everyone ought to be driving electric vehicles that do drive and don't bicycle. That's a, that's a tough marketing challenge. So I would urge you to look at those two areas because they're not easy and they're not, they're not just with a couple of colorful containers that uh, everyone can get excited by. And it's part of the long game, but it's also part of the short game. Mm -hmm. um, I would out. actually counsel towards a different uh, focus or an additional focus in the next round. I would say like over the course of the years of this commission, one of the things that we started off late not really addressing is the adaptation side of things in favor, much more in favor of the mitigation. And I still think even to this day, we have a bigger blind spot on engaging the community-based organizations. And so that was one of the segments in your report. And I think that one is a place where you could use particular guidance or advice on how to best leverage these, these groups. Um, and so that's a comment. I have a, a question that's also related to the segments um, that you identified in your report. Do these emerge sort of organically from, uh, you know, examining your findings, or did you go in with sort of these, these groups in mind? And then within these groups was, did you find a lot of agreement or, you know, like within businesses, you, there was a lot of, you know, divergent views. Were the groups sort of um, coherent? I think there's always, so first we went in without, with an idea, with assumptions about what the segments were, but then we further separated. So for example, we had a slide just on immigrant populations because we recognized that to, to bulk them in with other people who were homeowners or renters, et cetera, was not going to give that population the attention that we felt it deserved. Same goes for renters versus student renters. What's the difference? A lot, a lot of difference, right? And so we pulled student renters out. Not all students are renters, but a lot are, right? So we ended up pulling those folks out for different reasons. Were they homogenous? No, there's always difference in thought. And do most homeowners have similar perspectives or similar barriers and benefits? Um, there were trends is what we can say, which is what the survey data showed us. There were definite trends. There were definite barriers to taking actions and benefits. And so those, those groups who put them in um, were, they had the trends, which is what we presented on. Um, that being said, I think that the biggest differing group is likely going to be homeowners and renters, right? I mean, I think that homeowners have such different concerns and needs when it comes to taking actions than renters do, right? because renters can't take a lot of the same actions we want to ask a homeowner to make. So there are definitely, yeah, I mean, I'm saying the same thing again, but there are, there were definite trends. With, 
with regard to um, adaptation, because I, I do believe that uh, that's that's something we we do want to underscore and haven't spent a lot of time discussing because we've been talking about mitigation strategies, particularly with regard to the five or six questions that we asked and uh, and all of our listening was with regard to mitigation strategies, right? With regard to adaptation and, and particularly with how mitigation, I'm sorry, adaptation and how adaptation gets becomes part of our, our uh, everyday vernacular, right? It's, it, it's gotta be a balance, right? And we know that it has to be a balance that, uh, that, that is on the other side of the mitigation discussion, right? So it's, uh, it, or complements the mitigation discussion, right? So it's not either or in a communication, it tends to need to be uh, um, yes and. Yeah, I said that particular thing about the community-based organizations because I think <clears throat> there might be greater overlap with adaptation with that segment than other sure. segments. And it's For just sure. been a persistent blind spot, I think with our commission over the years. Hmm. Um, are there any ahas any of you had or any ideas you just wanna Throw some, throw some spaghetti on the wall. Yeah, I would say that one of the things that I've encountered uh, in directing, you know, in working in sustainability for quite a while is that for sure, you know, in researching this, climate communication indicates that you don't want to make people feel like this is a threat that's moved beyond the pale, right? And they, they get disengaged. They don't want to worry about it when they think it's too big and too dire. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're, I've found it hard, so I try to get away from messaging that's telling people all the reasons why they should threatening people into taking climate action. But it's very hard to think about what positive messaging looks like, and how would you engage in a campaign where you talk about climate change as opportunity, where you raise the issue. Like they have people have to be educated. They don't. I take my students all the time in the first week of class, and I explain in like two minutes what climate change is. It's a really simple idea, but messaging that it's simple, it's serious, and it's solvable. Those things are always what climate change, climate <laughs> science. But the other three- When you said serious, I, she opened up, I opened up Siri. <laughs> <laughs> I opened up Siri, yeah. Um, no, it's simple, it's serious, and it's solvable. And communicating that, messaging that is really hard though. And I think that I would like to see us really address that head on and saying, like, if people understand what climate change is, I think you can move them then to actions, but just saying change out your appliance, right? It's, it's a really hard thing to put on a bus or a billboard or message and that that targets changing all the time. Right. We need Iowa City that understands. And there's, there's a, I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, there's a there's a distinction i mean part of our camp part of the reason that we believe that this wants and needs a campaign is to do just that is to is to balance the notion of the of the the looming threat with something that feels hopeful um yeah. and to provide a context under which uh more tactical communications whether it's a, a bill stuffer insert that might speak to um how to read a, the yellow tag when you go to a home improvement store to buy a new dishwasher and how to evaluate that, which doesn't, which it still is on mission, but needs to feel incredibly uh, a tactical as a, as a strategic communication. And so being able to, to uh, first create the framework that is, is not about doom, right? But about hope, progress and action, right? Um, Mm -hmm. is is what I think we're focusing on now 
out of which some of the more tactical communications can then fall. Yeah, and that's and I think I'm, I'm, to be clear, I think you guys are doing that. I don't think it's a critique, but I think that that's the part that that we're meaning you is creating the framework and the stuff that we can plug into. Like, yeah, maybe it might be air source heat pumps, or maybe it might be, you know, who you name it, or different tactics in that. But the strategy of, I admittedly am not good at figuring out how do you get people to feel good about and start a movement. As you've mentioned, they've got to get on board. Right. And that's what I'm interested to see more than anything. So it's more of a comment of I'm interested to see that, not that you're not doing it. And, and Steve, you've heard with them what's in it for me. Every one of our constituencies in the in, in the end, that's all they want to know. Right. I don't care which group, which segment that you've talked about today, every one of them wants to know the answer to that. That's that this is great, but what's in it for me? And the real marketing expertise, I think that you can bring forth and some of it you may not be able to pull off because it's a huge challenge for our whole country, for the globe, is everyone's got to see a bottom line plus for participating in this effort. And that's- I've never that's heard of WIFM challenge. as an acronym. So thank you for oh. sharing that. I love it. Yeah. Um, I know, Sarah, we are at time. Does anyone else have something, a dying, not a dying thought, but something else you're dying to share? Not a dying thought. Ah. <laughs> um, well, in the interest of finishing on time, what I would suggest is uh, there is a more in-depth explication of their findings that was included in the agenda packet for this month. I encourage everyone to read it. And if you have any questions or follow-up comments, certainly send them to me and I will forward them on to cause impacts. Thank, thank you, sir. you. Thanks and, for your and, work. And uh, Cause Impacts, thank you very, very much. Uh, this is just the beginning. We're not done chatting, but thank you for putting up with us uh, last month, this month. And uh, we appreciate your presentation today very, very much. Well, thank you for having us. And like we said, we all want to come to Iowa City and be there for Climate Fest and bike around. So you all are doing an amazing job. So thanks for letting us be part of it. And unfortunately, we need to new, move to new business, and those reports have all been put into the packet, so we're going to skip the updates on working groups. Move to number eight, recap of actionable items for commission working groups and staff. Um, we didn't have any direct actionable items come up in the meeting today, so I will just encourage you all to attend Climate Fest next week. We have some really exciting events lined up and some good news to celebrate. And do we have an motion for adjournment? I make a motion to adjourn. First, second. Second. Any discussion? We are adjourned.